Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'm very happy to welcome on Tom Andes, who is a local writer and teacher and co-founder of the New Orleans Writers' Workshop. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for asking me. I love the show. I'm happy well, to be on. Thank you. Um, to kind of get us started, tell me a little bit for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, a little bit about the New Orleans Writers' Workshop as well as how you got involved there. Sure. So we started, the other founders are Jessica Kinnison. Anya Groner and Allison Alsop, and we are all writers who uh, were involved with Loyola University, had this institution that was variously known as the Loyola Writing Institute and the Walker Percy Center, and I think for a little while it was the Walker Percy Center at the Loyola Writing Institute at Loyola University, New Orleans. It had various ungainly names, and um, <laughs> we sort of got started there, and then we kind of expanded beyond what Loyola could really support us doing. We started doing classes in different locations, um, but they were super, super supportive of us, and we've always been grateful to the, all the people there in the English department there who kind of helped us get a start, because eventually we sort of decided to strike out on our own. Yeah, I um, get that. Kind of expanded beyond what they wanted us to do. And so. you do a lot of really interesting classes as well. What are some examples of that? We try. We um, Well, we have... Um, Allison teaches a revision intensive uh, that's great. I think Anya this summer is going to teach a class. She um, published a column in the New York Times about, or a feature in the Modern Love column in New York Times about being a doctor's wife, which I relate to because I am also a doctor's wife or spouse. So that should be one of the offerings this summer. Um, we usually have kind of a fiction one and a fiction two. I try to do some generative stuff. Uh, we've had poetry classes. Cassie Prine and C.W. Cannon teach for us, and C.W.'s done a lot of pretty popular nonfiction workshops. So we try to mix up the genres and, I don't know, just find topics and subjects that will be of interest to people. No, I think that's cool. And I know y'all have got a sort of a spring mixer coming up, or summer mixer, uh, next week. Yes, next Tuesday at 6 p.m. at uh, the Mid-City Yacht Club. And that's, you know, if you want to come out, it's basically kind of a meet-and-greet whether you've taken a class or not, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, and we just basically hang out and kind of have drinks and chat to people, basically. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's cool, man. Um, what's the favorite, the, your favorite class that you've taught for them? And I'm interested within that, um, what's your favorite topic within that class? This is a hard question because I feel like whatever class I don't answer, the you know, if anyone's listening who is in one of my other <laughs> classes. So I'm going to go with the I, th I think actually the default answer for me is is this the most recent class I've taught. OK. And I think that has less to do. And I, I taught our master's class in fiction this last term. And I'm trying to avoid using academic jargon and saying semester, but I'm so trapped in that mindset <laughs> that I still say semester. We, a master's class in fiction, which was juried, people applied, people applied to get in, and it was a really, really great group. So I thought this this class was exceptional, but I, I feel like all my classes have been exceptional, and I think that this last one I think was my favorite because I feel like I like I continue to learn from my students, and yeah. each time I do this, like I feel like I'm a, I have a little bit more to offer, hopefully, each time I do this. So I think that was, I think, just the most recent class. I just felt like I had more. I felt like I had more to offer, and also like I learned more from that from that group. Um, and grew myself. So that yeah. would be, yeah. What, what was a particular topic in this this class that really kind of struck you uh, that you've been thinking about since? Oh, goodness. I think, I don't know if it's actually a different topic than from other classes. I think the topic that I end up going back to again and again are just the beginnings of stories and the beginnings, like how much work uh, a writer kind of does up front yeah. um, to get the groundwork at the beginning of a short story and the groundwork to kind of get things moving just in the first few paragraphs of a story. 
So I think I feel like I keep learning the same lessons over and over in my own work. And I think that was true um, in this class also. This yeah. is kind of those fundamentals. I, I can see that. I um I read another interview you did a few years back. And one of the things that you uh, talked about was um, the idea of process and how a lot of the times process is figuring out what your optimal process is. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering uh, what your actual process is like in writing and beginning <laughs> a story. And like, how do you, how did, long did it take you to figure that out? Uh, I would say it's evolving. Yeah. Um, it usually involves lots of agony um, and lots of telling myself that it's no good. It's no good. I always like to joke that I need to make, I feel like in order to produce something I like, I need to make the bar just high enough that I want to look at it again the next day yeah. and it's still convincing to me, but not any higher than that because then I'll just throw it away the next day. <laughs> it's like you need to find it. It needs to be like good enough to keep going, but not, you can't set your expectations so high. I feel like that you're not motivated to keep going. Yeah. Um, I've done all different kinds of things. I write to, uh, for a long time, I wrote to a word count. I would do 500 words a day because I, I think I read that Graham Greene did that. Yeah. Monday to Friday, 500 words a day. Um, I think other times I've set uh, I've set a clock. Um, I think it's uh, uh, I think Amy Bender does like two hours and fifteen minutes a day. So I emulated that for a while. I would set my clock to different periods of time. Um, so I think it's kind of evolving. And as as far as how I start a story, I've done everything. Sometimes I'll start with an outline. Yeah. Sometimes I think I feel like I'm often better when I don't outline and I'll just kind of go. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I'll often, you know, within the first couple pages, I feel like I will have kind of a general sense of how things will develop because I have a sense of the questions that the questions I have, which will usually be the same questions a reader's going to have about what's going to happen with the material. Yeah. So. That's interesting. What do you do when you uh, not necessarily have writer's block, but when you get to the middle of a story and you're kind of like lambasted at where where to go? Oh, that's a killer question. Um, I don't, you know, sometimes what I'm trying to learn to do is just to put things aside because I actually feel like trying to um, sort of hurdle myself over obstacles. There's usually something really obvious that I'm missing. Yeah. Um, you know, so I've never been able to prove this online. But uh, somebody once told me that William Faulkner's famous writing advice when you got stuck was to just, quote, unquote, drive a truck through it. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I've also tried that. But I end up, I mean, one does, you end up, you can end up spinning your wheels. And what I actually try to practice is kind of like put, putting it aside and coming back to it later. I don't tend to give up on anything, but yeah. I have lots of things that I've temporarily given up on. That said... I will also, sometimes I just kind of feel like, well, just keep putting words on the page, yeah. you know, and particularly when I write to a word count, I'll do like, we'll do 500 more words. You might not keep all of this. There might be a couple of sentences that are keepers, you know, but that'll help me kind of figure out where I'm going next. One strategy I'm trying to learn also is to just, sometimes I'll just sit back and take notes yeah. and kind of free write and um, take the pressure off of like what's in front of me on the word processor and then just sit with a notebook and kind of make notes. I think that sort of can help jog things loose sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say is one final thing with that is, is often the thing that I'm stuck on today, if I kind of, when my time is up working for the day and I kind of close the laptop and go away, it's often that problem that seems so huge the day before. I feel like this is true of life in general yeah. is way less glaring the next day. Yeah. So, um, and I, and I find that there's actually like a simpler answer than I had thought. So. Like life, I think most of my problems are self-created when, <laughs> when I sit down and do this. 
No, I get that. I think that's interesting. I, I talked to Douglas Kearney recently about um, the idea of like practice in writing, either in poetry or in, in fiction writing, and that there's really not a good like version of like for a musician doing scales for a writer. And yeah. I think that's, that's those are types of exercises that really do facilitate that and help it. So when you're when you're on, you're on, and you're ready to do that in a way. Yeah. You're warmed up. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, I saw him read. He was terrific. I saw him read at the poetry festival. So good, right? And it was, yeah, that was awesome. That was really really great. And um, and I think there's a, a San Francisco. Francisco short story writer named Junts Kim, who said this, something about like process, I'm paraphrasing and probably garbling this, but the idea is that if you're writing, it's better to think about, instead of thinking about the story, trying to produce the perfect story, think about, well, like I want to work on voice right now, or I want to work on dialogue right now and let the material kind of take care of itself or find itself. If you kind of concentrate on an element to kind of work on and develop. And I feel like that might be the closest thing there is to running scales or doing something like that. Yeah. finger exercises or the different things you can do, you know, if you're a piano player or a guitar player or something like that. Yeah. What, um, what makes a good story for you? Oh, I don't, it's funny. Cause I feel, I have like very divided loyalties yeah. to, to genres. My favorite books to read are basically like private detective novels and like police procedurals. I do like literary fiction. Also, I think the common denominator is something like that will keep me up at night. Yeah. Like if it keeps me up at night, I actually don't care. Like science fiction, crime fiction, whatever it is, if it if it makes me if it makes me want to like lose sleep and stay awake, then I feel like that's a very nebulous. It's a very nebulous criteria, but that's kind of what I feel like it is. It's yeah. something that makes me want to just keep turning the pages. Um, do you have a favorite story, either either in the fiction realm, real realm, long or short? And it can be within the detective genre as well. Just like a certain kind of story that you're drawn to continually. Oh. I don't know. Um, I think the fiction, I think a lot of the short stories I like tend to be in the literary genre. The yeah. first one that comes to mind is I, I've taught a few, a bunch of times is Frank O'Connor. He's Irish, but I think he spent a lot of his life in the U.S. He has a story called Guests of the Nation, mm. which is about, um, it's basically about an IRA foot soldier who him and his friend are put in charge of these two English prisoners of war. And by the end of the story, they have to kill these two prisoners of war they've befriended. And it's I that story, it always just devastates me emotionally. Um, I will sort of read it and reread it. I think it's one of those things that I've gone back to also because I think that it's a very spoken story. And he even kind of says something at the end of the first paragraph of that story about how, you know, you can hear you can hear from my accent that I'm from the town sort of the idea. And I think that that's something I've only sort of started to appreciate is the extent to which short stories are, it's, they're printed, but there's, they're also an oral art form. Yeah. And that's something I feel like that. So that, te that story has continued to teach me. That story has continued to teach me things. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I had the chance to see you at the New Orleans Poetry Festival uh, do the only fiction panel at the festival, I believe. I think, uh, I think it was. I believe so, anyway. But um, it was on literary voice and voice within stories. And you had a, a really great panel assembled. Um, a lot of, like, interesting viewpoints clashing back and forth in that panel, uh, which I, I wish we would have had a longer period of time oh. to have for it. Um, but I, I'm interested. We got to hear from these panelists about their idea of voice and fiction. I'm interested what your own definition of that is and how you kind of practice that. I, I appreciate I appreciate you, your kind words about the panel. I always felt I always feel like like a literary panel is like it's like hell, you know. <laughs> if I can say that on the air, it's yes. like not a play. But it, so I, my goal in a panel is always just to get people who I think will have very different ideas and then just like turn them loose for yeah. forty five minutes. <laughs> um, but 
I think I, I think voice is actually I think it goes back to what I was saying about that O'Connor story is it's something I've only started to appreciate. Um, I sometimes think if there's a thing in yoga, if you're in Shavasana after yoga, this idea of the breather yeah. and this question of like who is breathing and this part of you, you know, there's always a part of you, whatever your sort of spiritual affiliation. I, I think you could, I don't know if you would say this is God or but there's a part of you that sort of is capable of watching yourself and detaching from the ego. And I think that's what a lot of sort of spiritual places try to get us toward. And I actually think that in writing, I sometimes think that's actually where voice comes from is like its relationship to character. Is it like somehow it's like you want to get at that part of the person, you know, it's like when I'm sitting in traffic and I'm having road rage every now and then there's like a little bit of me in the back of my head. That's like, man, you are crazy right now. You know? And I always think that that's like, that's kind of where it comes from is, is like, that part of you that can watch yourself and that part of you that can be sort of gifted with that self-awareness, but also see yourself from outside yourself or like the, you know, who is, who is the breather? It's something that is like beneath your own ego or outside of, outside of the self. And I would say that is what I would probably most connect voice to in fiction. That's an interesting way of framing. I was like this Dr. Strange astral projection type, you know, you're looking at this real thing happening in, in real time, uh, but being able to comment on it. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Or like a, or like a, being under the surface of water almost yeah. being submerged in the ego. And then those moments you can come up. And I think that's, I think that's, but it, not your own. You're not trying to get, I think to your own place, you're sort of trying to get to that place for that character. Like, yeah. What is this? What, what is this part of this person? Um, that's like sort of most human that I can connect with that would, and how would they sort of see their behavior and how would they talk about their behavior? Yeah. Um, that's, that's another thing that brings me, um, Talking about structure and things surrounding writing, not the writing itself, uh, it's harder in poetry, but in fiction it can be just as difficult to kind of bridge the gap in talking about some of these things. What are like analogies or examples uh, are, are frameworks that you found really useful in teaching aspects of writing that are a little bit challenging, like voice? I feel like examples, I just sort of always end up defaulting to examples. Yeah. Um, but I guess two kinds of examples is, you know, that Frank O'Connor story, I feel like is, you know, I've used as like a, a, a teaching tool, but then also student, the, the work that writers bring to a workshop, Yeah. I think is often, I mean, I feel like that's where I've learned the most about something like that. Like, for instance, I was in a workshop not that long ago where someone was like, take this story, I'd written a story in the third person. And he was like, take this rewrite it into the first person hmm. until you can listen to it without hearing yourself sitting at the computer, picking up your 25 cent words and impressing us with your vocabulary <laughs> and then put it back in the third person. And that, it, like, I think that's one of the most useful, that's one of the most useful exercises I've ever had as a writer. And I feel like that's what, I mean, I, that's what I feel like I aim for in my teaching yeah. is to like somehow illuminate something for somebody else the way that was kind of illuminated uh for me from that exercise so i think like our own work can be like a really good teacher as well and then you learn you know then i feel like i've learned over time that i've learned to spot that um in published work and i've learned you know i think really good uh, stories you can go back to them again and again and they always have something to teach you and there's always something you can notice some new facet of a story you know every time you go back to it yeah um what are what are some what do you tend to focus on in your own writing? What What are you really interested in writing right now or have you been in the past? Um, really just getting to like actually making it through to the end. I yeah. Feel like it's usually, yeah, that's, I mean, um, I mean, I have a, I have a, a, a story, a story collection that I've been sort of shuffling stories in and out of for a long time. Uh, I mean, the oldest stories in that book are like 
18 years old now. Oh, I think wow. one or two of them have been in there. I wrote a long, long time ago and they had a weird, they spent about 10 years in a drawer, those two stories. Um, but so I, I'm working on that story collection and I have a novel that I've written a couple drafts of that I want to do some more work on and send some more places. And at the moment though, I'm actually just, I've been writing new stories because I feel like when I have something, when I have work I'm trying to avoid, like revising that novel, uh, it helps to have story, you know, that suddenly I can, suddenly I feel like writing new short stories <laughs> when I have work that I'm trying to avoid yeah. on the other end. So I try to have a lot of things going at once so that I can always, so that if, you know, if, if one thing isn't in motion, if I don't know what to do with one thing, there's something else there. There's something else um, kind of ready for me to look at. So I have a lot of different things sort of in motion at any given time, but usually just one thing I'm focusing on, which right now has been writing new new stories. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I love having that, that ability to pivot to, to different kind of streams of thought. I know it's, it's not useful for some people, but it's always been useful for me. So I appreciate a kindred spirit. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, it's sort of like multi, I think it's because like I get really, really, really focused, like maybe too focused. And it's good for me to break out of that. That said, I will sometimes I've had to learn how to do that because my tendency is to sort of get stuck in a rut with things. I also think it's good. You know, sometimes I think it's good to, um, Heinlein, there's like a science fiction writer who like, he has these like five rules of writing. And one is that you like, you know, finish everything you, you start. And I don't know, I don't, I certainly don't do that. And I don't always agree with that, but sometimes I will make myself kind of like, okay, just finish this, get the rest of this on the page. And then if you never look at it again, great. At least you'll have finished it so you can get to the next thing. And sometimes I think, I mean, I have stories that I, I feel like actually in retrospect that I, I feel are among the better things I've written yeah. that I thought were you know, that I thought the first, when I finished the first draft, I was like, I'm throwing this out. I'll never look at this. Yeah. This, this is a, this is a failure. You know, sometimes you need a little perspective and I think you have to give yourself a chance yeah. to kind of see things for what they are. No, I so. think that's important. Um, you, you've mentioned a few different types of like writers, uh, giving advice on, on certain topics in this interview. And I've read, read you reference certain things. So obviously, uh, I'm interested in, there are a lot of writers giving rules out uh, from each generation. Is there like a golden rule that you found personally that you continue to go back to from any individual writer or set of rules? I don't think so. Yeah. I feel like my sense of the rules is always evolving. I mean, there's like kind of cliches like, you know, know the rules before you break the rules. Yeah. Um, I think there's one teacher who said, you know, the, the story the story trumps all the rules. Like the, there's always, you know, there's like an exception to every rule basically. I think listening, trying to listen to your characters is good, but that's such a nebulous, like, what does that mean yeah. to listen to your characters? You know, and, and if you're lucky, if you're lucky, they're talking to you. And then when some, some days it feels like you're like, oh, I'm listening, man, but you're not saying anything. Yeah. So, um, I don't know that there is one rule except to, except I think that just, you know, I actually believe, I think in the work of it more than anything else, like just kind of put your butt in the chair. Like that's the thing you've got to do more than anything, right? That's what I feel like I, I, I try to kind of like live by as well. Like try to like commit to this enough to do it like a certain amount of time. And that's, and, and everything else I feel like kind of unfolds from that. Yeah. You know? um, you published a piece last year in Guernica about um, your experience. It was a nonfiction piece, uh, your experience at the Bill Cassidy uh, rally when he came in to talk to his constituents. Uh, and you had a quote in there um, about writing and about, I think it's uh, in the, this moment that just doesn't seem enough. And I was interested in your thoughts about kind of the role of the artist or, or a writer in a time of political turmoil. And, and what do you feel uh, a person should really be behind, whether they're on different partisan spectrums or what have you? That's a really good, that's a really good question. And I wish I had, 
I don't actually have a clear answer for it. Yeah. I've got a lot of, lot of writer friends who I've gone back and forth with. Um, I think a lot of us feel sort of like, what does it mean? You know, like I'm, our culture seems to be falling apart in all these ways. And I'm like sitting in my room, interacting with imaginary people and like agonizing over properly describing like what they do on the yeah. page, you know? Um, I do think fiction that, you know, that said, I think that we live in a time of, um, I think we live in a time of increased polarization and, you know, my politics have always tended, I think, toward the more like left or liberal end of the political spectrum. But I also feel like we, um, I feel like we don't hear each other very well in general. And, and, and even among people on the left, I think that, you know, there's sort of a, sometimes there are factional divides between leftists and liberals, between Hillary people and Bernie people. I think that um, the sort of the volume has gone up as people have gotten angrier. And I think one of the things that is true, I think about the best fiction to me, is that the villain always gets a story too. And that it's about understanding what motivates people and all different kinds of people. Yeah. And so I think that that's something that I do feel like is still valuable about fiction. You know, in a moment when I'm sitting at my desk and there's other things happening out in the world, I don't know what that means. I don't yeah. know if it means enough, you know? Um, but I do think writing workshops, I mean, we had, um, you know, we had a really great, the class I was in this last semester, we had a really great discussion um, about race and representation and the, you know, the issue I think of, you know, if you're a, if you're a white writer, what obligation do you have to not represent a world that's entirely white? Mm -hmm. And is it, you know, do you reach for when you're representing people who don't look like you or come from the same background you do? Do you reach for stereotypes or do you try to reach kind of beyond that? And I do think that's something that's again, something fiction can offer and that, um, maybe is a good way for like a writing workshop to contribute, uh, to contribute to the conversations that people are having now yeah. about those things. But, you know, again, I don't, it's, it's a hard, that's a hard question to, that's a hard question to answer. I don't want to ever say that like art, though I don't ever want to say though that art doesn't have meaning and doesn't have value. I mean, I think that that's the other thing that happens now is people feel like, oh, you know, everything is so bad that we, it, we can't remember these things that connect with sort of deeper parts of ourselves yeah. or help us see other people's perspectives or, or just the pleasure you get from listening to a song you like or something like that. I mean, I think those things are, those things are valuable too. Like however, um, whatever's happening in the world, I think I want to believe that. I think, I do think that some of the things that art taps into are the parts of yourself that are, that are capable of empathy yeah, and that are capable. And I think those, uh, those always have I don't have to say they have a political utility because I think that's almost putting it cynically. Yeah. But I mean, I think those are, those are parts of ourselves that enlarge us as people. And I think that those, you know, those are potentially positive outcomes of art and what it can offer um, in any, in any moment, I hope. No, I, I agree. I think that's a good kind of solid way of, of thinking through that and the construction, especially with, with the use of the writer's workshop and kind of delving into those questions that are really important in ways outside of that space, but it provides um, a quote unquote safe space to really delve into those things to where people don't have to give into political buzzwords or feel like they have to take sides or feel like there's going to be an argument that comes out of it. I think that's really an important thing to have. Yeah. Um, tell me to, to, to pivot to a little bit different. I know you've written book reviews in, in the past and you probably still do. I do. Yeah. Um, tell me what's your kind of criteria for, for writing a review? I think it's evolved. I used to feel like I had to have like a strong thesis statement almost where yeah. I took a definitive stand about like, you know, this book is very successful or mostly successful or like not very successful. I think I've come to kind of feel like a book review uh, should kind of introduce a book to a reader. 
and give a, a reader a sense of, of what they're in for, and maybe even sort of explain a book to a reader yeah. or open up a book to a reader. You know, that said, every now and then I've read something um, where I, f I felt like it's incumbent upon me a little bit to write like a review that's more negative. For the most part, I, I, try, to, I try to be clear about what I think is a book is trying to do sort of on its own terms. And then I will try to say like, well, how does this measure up to that? Does it seem to succeed at that? But uh, I, I feel like the, the biggest thing is to try to come to something. I feel like it's like true of teaching too, is to try to come to something on its own terms yeah. and understand it on its own terms. I think that's important. And I, I've, I've read so many scathing reviews that I kind of walk away with nothing. I think the best are the critically minded ones that draw out the flaws as well as giving uh, credit where credit is due, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think John Irving, I think, John, I think it was John Irving who um, said he stopped writing book reviews because he felt like, well, I know what goes into writing a novel. I can't possibly pan someone's novel, you know? And he wrote, and I also read, there's a really, I forget which, it's a Toni Morrison novel he reviews. And the review is really funny because he's like, well, this is a really great book, but it's a little bit too long and he likes his characters too much, which you could, or she likes her characters too much, which you could say about basically every John Irving novel, I think, yeah. including <laughs> the ones I love. So, you know, I don't know if there's a way in which reviewing, you know, there's, there's always a part of ourselves, I think, in what we look for in the mirror we hold up to things. Yeah, you're always grading with your biases and yeah. you, it's hard to be aware of that all the time too. Exactly, yeah. As much as you want to try to move beyond them, which is the ideal, yeah. Yeah, um, well, I, we're getting a little short on time, but um, I want to wrap up with a question about what you're reading right now, um, as well as where people can find out more information about the New Orleans Writers Workshop and upcoming events that you have. Uh, what am I reading right now? I just, I'm reading a book of... Uh, crime short stories by a woman named Patricia Abbott, okay. who is, uh, I believe is Megan Abbott's mom. Megan Abbott is a really terrific crime writer. Oh, yeah. um, and then uh, I'm reading, I also picked up, um, I loved James Elroy when I was in college. And then he sort of like, there's a point at which he like kind of jumped the shark for me and like I'm <laughs> way too conspiracy minded, but like living in our moment now, all of a sudden I'm like, maybe it is all, you know, the conspiracies <laughs> in his books don't seem as far fetched. So um, I picked I picked him up uh, his I think one of his last ones up Bloods of Rover which I hadn't read um, before so I picked that up recently and then I've got I don't know I've got a pile of books next to the next to my bed but those are the two at the top of the stack at oh, the moment well, fantastic and then, um, what about the the writers workshop where can uh, people find out more info you can find more information at www.neworleanswriters.com which is on the interweb mm -hmm. well, that's a beautiful thing then all right all right well thanks Tom yeah thank you so much for having me it's really a pleasure to come do this. That was author Tom Andes, who is also a co-founder and teacher at the New Orleans Writing Workshop. And that's our show. You've been listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch us every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. All of WRBH's podcast and interview shows can be found on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.